This episode, when it finishes, I will have reviewed 300 films from my collection, and uh, I don't know if I thought it was going to go this far, or if I thought that uh, I would have thrown in the towel beforehand. There certainly hasn't been a lot motivating me to keep going financially, that's for sure. And aside from a few letters early on, I haven't been getting a ton of feedback on Ranking Review, but what I have been getting out of it is a lot of fun and enjoyment, and uh, I like making use of my movie collection as the physical medium continues to die. Um, I feel like this old man who's, you know, won't, won't let go of his record collection. Um, and this podcast, Record Review, has sort of made me rediscover and uh, sort of enjoy my collection even more. Um, so I'm getting my money's worth out of my movies. I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank everybody for listening to Rank and Review and just remind them if they wouldn't mind, please like the page on, on Facebook, please give a positive review on iTunes or whatever service you use to get the podcast, and just tell your other film fans out there that this podcast exists. The more people listening, the more worthwhile this feels to me. It's, it's not about money at this point. I think if it was, I would have thrown in the towel a while ago. For now, it's just about people loving movies, getting together, and getting off on cinema. This week, I have a very special guest. He's come all the way from Florida in the excited states, and he is one of the biggest fans of the podcast. And he's a friend of mine who I have not seen for many years. His name is Brandon Cook, and he and I will be discussing Bigfoot. I hope you enjoy the 50th episode of Rank and Review. And as usual, I hope you can expect coarse language and spoilers for the movies discussed. If you'd like to contact Rankin Review, you can do so at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. It was 12 years ago, Larry. I bumped into you in a mall. Oh, You were okay. reading in the mall. Okay, no. You were briefly in town, and I just saw you for like 
a few minutes. That was 12 years ago. That was 2003. I was about to leave. I was about to leave and go away to Toronto. Wow. That's right. It's a crazy so, feeling. And it's, it's been a long time. And literally, you, you knocked on the door of my house what, like 20 minutes ago, if that. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, we, we haven't really caught up. We're going to catch up by doing this. Um, so this is the 50th episode, and uh, Brendan comes all the way from Florida in the excited states, as I like to call them. <laughs> and uh, it's a long journey for you to come here. And for, I, I really appreciate you making your time to do the podcast. And I appreciate that you listen to the podcast and that you're sort of, you know, the head of my uh, American fan base. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely true, Larry. There's no question. Um, I love I love the podcast. I always enjoy listening to it. And to get to do it is a great thrill anyway. And for the 50th, well, this is just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's excellent. It's magical. It's magical. That's and right. We're also going to talk about uh, Bigfoot. Oh, right. Which is right. an interesting topic in of itself. I'm not a believer, particularly in Bigfoot, but it's one of these things that I, like I've said sort of about ghosts, I want to believe in it. Like, I think it would be awesome if it was true. I don't think it's true, but I, I would love it if it was. And that, that's sort of my standing. I love the Bigfoot, but I, I just can't quite edge over to believe in it. Well, I agree with you, Larry, in the sense that I'm certain, I'd say I am certain Bigfoot does not exist. But, but I, I, I go even farther than you, though, to say that the idea, it's always fascinated me. Um, I, I watch far too many of these stupid documentaries about Bigfoot hunters. Yeah. The, the mentality of these people is just very interesting. The way they keep on believing, keep on holding out hope. And the way, frankly, that they always... Um, create this pose of scientific detachment. Yeah. They're just keeping an open mind. Maybe it could be Bigfoot. Maybe it could be something else I'm investigating. But any sound they hear in the night in the woods is Bigfoot. Absolutely. Well, 100%. The other thing you notice is they always know it's not a bear. Yeah. If someone says it could, could it be a bear? They're like, no, no, there hasn't been a bear in these woods for 40 years. Because, right, a, a, an ape that no one's ever seen or caught, that could be here, but a bear? I mean, come on. Who would think of a bear? That's just ridiculous. So, I, I probably don't want to admit it, but in my heart of hearts, I must find this really fascinating. Because <laughs> even though I can't believe it, I keep watching these guys. And you know, the truth is, when you showed me the six Bigfoot-themed horror movies, I'd seen every one of them there before. Well, and here's the well, question bad. that I would pose to you and to movie makers in general. Why do they find it so difficult to make a good Bigfoot movie? Because, like, it's, it's obviously a lot of people are interested in it. It's like a great sort of folklore passed on through time and immemorial. But uh, I have seen very few competent big, Bigfoot movies, let alone, like, solid, rock-solid good ones. And Certainly you haven't included any in this list. <laughs> you see, well, I don't know exactly where you stand. I know that most of the movies you hated. I didn't hate all of these movies, but I will agree with you that it was really hard to find a list of six Bigfoot movies that didn't have just complete howlers throughout the entire selection, you know? Well, I agree with you. There is a problem, and I think we'll, we'll see this as, they, as we go through this. Several of these movies... Um, they go down a path where in the end Bigfoot can't really be evil in the end because why would he be evil? And yeah. It's not really a good premise for a horror movie. It's not like the malevolent ghost. Yeah, and it's interesting that like well, three and a half of these are found footage. Yeah. That's... that's that's sort of, I mean, I know it's the popular in vogue thing these days, but uh, shaky camera in the woods, you know... A lot of the scare is sort of taking care of you in the panic of the characters. Well, so if you don't have a big creature to show, you can at least bring the scares without the, you know, 
payday of the monster. Well, I sort of understand this impulse. I really do. I sort of do because to the extent that there is an appeal, it's the idea that this could be real. Yeah. You know, you're, you're watching all sorts of horror movies. You're watching a vampire movie. You don't really believe in vampires. It's just fun to enter the world the movie creates. It's not the same way with Bigfoot. The appeal... And I hate to admit it, but when I look inside myself, the yeah. appeal is that it could be real. Yeah. That it's not just a horror movie construct. That when you're out in those woods, and I actually, maybe this is one reason it appeals to me, I spent the first 20 years of my life in the woods of northern Saskatchewan. And there's something almost poetic about the idea that you're out there in that quiet forest, in the stillness, the loneliness, and that... Not something watching you, someone is watching you. Yeah. It's a wonderful idea, and it's not the same as the idea of a vampire. No, no. one wants to believe, or I don't think no one wants to believe yeah. vampires are real. There are people real. who want to believe it, but not as many as want to believe in yeah. Bigfoot. Yeah, people and want to believe in Bigfoot. While retaining my skepticism, I will also say this. Uh, if Bigfoot exists, if like there's a Sasquatch wandering the earth somewhere, it's in Canada. <laughs> it's not in fucking Texas like we hear in one of these movies and it's not, you know, in like Vancouver Island where they've had Bigfoot sightings like in no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just don't There we go. <laughs> but at the same time, if Bigfoot were real, he wouldn't make a very good horror movie. Um is it protagonist or antagonist? What? I don't know. Either. What have you? I, <laughs> yeah. I usually tend to see horror movies as from the point of view of the monster, but yeah. he's not really suited to it, so I think that's the problem. Well, someday they're going to make the, the masterpiece of Bigfoot cinema. I hope I so. I will go so far as to say that it does not exist anywhere in this list. But I think I liked more of them than you did. We'll see. The six movies that we're going to look at this week on Rank and Review. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I almost forgot about to do there. Um, the Legend of Boggy Creek from 1974, I want to, 72. Classic Bigfoot <laughs> film. Um, a not-so-classic Bigfoot film and more recent called Bigfoot the Lost Coast Tapes. Are you judging them before we've talked about them, Larry? <laughs> uh, I'm tipping my hand a little bit, but I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. Uh, the 80s family comedy Harry and the Hendersons. I know this doesn't fall into the horror umbrella, but it does have Bigfoot in it. And like I say, coming up with six watchable movies was no easy feat. <laughs> I might have even failed. <laughs> Uh, from the director of Blair Witch Project, returning to the found footage genre, exists uh, a very lo-fi, I think, direct-to-video film, Sasquatch Mountain, from, I assume, Sasquatch fan <laughs> uh, Lance Henriksen, since there's an awful lot of Bigfoot in his resume. He's done three. <laughs> yeah. And last but not least, from writer-director Bobcat Goldthwait, we have another found footage movie called Willow Creek. So that's what we're diving into this week. Are you ready? Ready to go. Let's do it. Here in this primitive river-bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954. And that this creature, whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. The Legend of Boggy Creek, 1972. In, in some ways, this movie is... 
unarguably a success, Brendan, because um, it was made for no money by a bunch of friends who didn't know how to make movies, clearly. And it was huge drive-in mm-hmm. fare throughout the next mm-hmm. 10 years. And it would play on TV. And there are people who have memories of watching this movie as a child and being absolutely terrified by it. Uh, as far as the rate of money spent against money made, mm-hmm. The Legend of Boggy Creek is undeniably a success. So you're saying that this movie made a lot of money. Therefore it is successful. And it scared people too young to know better. Yes. yes. And these are its two achievements. Well, and I guess like the, you know, it was kind of first to the map as far as a Bigfoot movie that I can, that I can think of. Maybe there's some earlier ones uh, that are of note, but I, I couldn't find any. Well, it's very important for the idea of the Southern Sasquatch as a subgenre of the Bigfoot, um, Bigfoot lore. Um, it does establish the idea not only of the Sasquatch of the Southern states, but that he's smaller in stature than your regular Bigfoot. Three toes. Stinkier and more malevolent. Yeah. All of those things go on to today's um, crappy cable TV Bigfoot hunter shows. Yes. And uh, this goes to the malleability, I can't even speak today, malleability of Bigfoot. Sometimes he's nine feet tall, sometimes he's five feet tall, sometimes he's got a big monkey foot, sometimes he's got three toes, sometimes he stinks, sometimes he doesn't, you know. uh, There's a logic to it. I I would beg to differ. The Southern Sasquatch. Yeah. This is a genre, and this is what really I think Boggy Creek does. It's, It's clear. The Southern Sasquatch is not big. He's not large. And he's usually black furred and so on. So there, gradually, there's some rules to this. Yeah. Well, it sounds closer to the, the uh, legend of the skunk ape. But, right, uh, right. Uh, this all takes place largely in Arkansas Swamp. And what I find kind of charming about the movie is the fact that uh, it's got this like early Disney educational film quality to it. It's like one of these things that you'd watch on a rickety projector when you were in grade two or three, when the teacher was too lazy to do any real teaching. And the constant narration and the constant sort of sickly sweet orchestral score and uh, the way that even though it's the film medium, they are telling and not showing throughout the movie. (laughs) Uh, In a way, it took me back to an educational film as a child and being back in a classroom and believing just blindly anything that you see because it was in a film. But... Does all this add up to it actually being a good movie? Well, this is <laughs> this is what I think we need to establish. This is a mockumentary. That's why yeah. you said three and a half found footage Correct. films. It's a mockumentary for, format. And I have to say, I would at least say that this had a lot of potential. This film had a lot of potential. When I discovered it in the video store in Toronto, I was excited. And one reason, I think, is that the mockumentary is the ideal format for a Bigfoot movie. Because, again, you want the sense of realism. This could have been real. It could have happened. And yet, when they stage the different creature encounters in the movie, we we don't have to worry that it all looks clearly staged because we imagine we're watching the mockumentary. It's yeah. not like found footage. We have to believe this ridiculous conceit that this footage is it's real. Actually real. Yeah. Uh, no. we, we, these are reenactors. Exactly. They're not actors. It's they a reenactment. Either. So it's upfront about its fictionality. Yeah. That what we're seeing is fictional, but what it's depicting is real. So you get the best of both worlds. Right. You get the sense that this really happened without the bullshit of having to believe that the shaky camera footage. Yeah. So I think it was an inspired choice to start that way. And all the things you point out, the things that make it lame, the fact that, yes, there's an annoying narrator that tells rather than shows that the sound quality is bad, that you have the really, yeah, it's the score is just horribly missing. (laughs) 
that all adds to the realism. That all adds to the veracity. If these things really happened, and then they made a crappy documentary about it in 1972, that's what it would be like. Well, okay, I get it. Somebody cared enough about this monster that they write a little folk song about it, and they include the folk song in their Not a folk song. It's a horrible big band number. (laughs) At least that's my take on it. But, uh... I, I also took note of the song dedicated to Travis Crabtree. Oh, really? Travis Crabtree, a teenage boy who takes a trip down Boggy tr- Creek and sees the sights and goes camping. He's and, got a song. Yeah, he's got his own song in, in the Damn. And uh, he goes down and he meets some old fellow who lives in the middle of the swamp, gives him you know, some provisions. They talk, and the old man says, I've lived here all my life. There's no such thing as a creature. And that's the last we hear of Travis Crabtree. That's the last we hear of that old man. That whole song leading up to it was all just this huge, elaborate, charming dead end. (laughs) There's a lot of those in this movie. That's the problem. The potential was great. The potential in terms of doing the mockumentary format and even the idea of this more mysterious, malevolent, almost gothic Sasquatch. That was all great. But the director is just terrible. Yeah. He just he doesn't just handle it a little bit bad so you believe it's a bad 1972 documentary. It's a terrible <laughs> mockumentary. He knows nothing about this. And you get the feeling the stuff that works or the stuff that he got right was kind of accidental. Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea of doing this as a faux documentary or a found footage or what have you uh, style. I don't think he thought he was breaking new ground. I think like he couldn't think of another way to make a movie. The guy who wrote mm-hmm. the script was basically, you know... Uh, took a bunch of the local history and like wrote it down verbatim and called that the script you know there there is no real story here and that's a problem but there are songs there are songs and I would maybe it's just the orchestration that made me think big band number rather right. than a country tune but but it was that ridiculous kind of um, orchestral backing you'd hear in the 1940s and so we have a sequence where the creature's been shot, so his feelings are hurt, I guess, and he retreats deeper into the swampland. And we hear he has his song. And it's, uh, I actually wrote down the words here, I won't dare try to sing it, but Here the sulfur river flows, rising when the storm cloud blows. This is where the creature goes, safe within a world he knows. Perhaps he dimly wonders why there is no other such as I to touch. To love before I die. To listen to my lonely cry. I'm going to tear up here. I (laughs) I know. And it's so... The montage, we see shots of the creature, and I presume he's looking sad. I presume he's looking sad. (laughs) Okay. It's not easy being me. It's not easy being the creature from Buggy (laughs) Creek. I swore I wouldn't laugh, Larry, but... It's, it's really okay absurd. Laugh. It's okay to laugh. It's it's freeing to the soul. <sighs> um, yes, the legend of Boggy Creek. Well, individual stories uh, sort of play out like any sort of typical Sasquatch thing. It showed up by the window. It tapped on the glass. It threw a rock out of the woods. We've heard all these stories before. It's kind of, I guess, convenient to have it all in one place, but... It also rides the line that you talk about with that lonely song. Is is this something to be fear, feared? Is it a wild animal? Or is it this actually sort of friendly, sort of, you know, <laughs> benevolent thing? You know, uh, I, I, Each one of the different Bigfoot movies definitely takes a path on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know. For me, if it's an animal, if you look at it as an animal, I look at animals much the way I look at people. 
Some of them are completely nice and docile, and some of them are total dicks. Right. <laughs> uh, they did not pick an alley with Boggy Creek. Uh, it was aggressive sometimes, and it ran off right away as soon as it saw someone other times. It was just... In the same inconsistent way that real accounts are, I guess the movie has an inconsistency in the creature's behavior. Yes, there's an accidental sense of veracity to a lot of this. <laughs> it seems real, even if they didn't know how. Well, and that's to do what that. I sort of say. Why this sort of an accidental classic? And I do put quotation marks around the classic. But I said the same thing when I talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in that I, I wonder how much of it was luck as opposed to skill. It was the fact that they were the first person to latch on to making a movie about this creature. Uh, I don't think it was the approach that excited people about it and made it return to the drive-in. And I think because... The reason that it, it's sort of stuck in people's memories because it was, you know, uh, folklore. It was American folklore that they could buy, you know, buy into. And in sort of the parameters of the early 70s, this could pass as scary. You could almost believe it. But I didn't find a particular performance in here that... <laughs> that, that took me away, you know. That, that said, "Wow, I really believe you," you know. Well, yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I would go further. There are movies that succeed through luck. There are movies. I mean, presumably, The Sixth Sense is one of those movies. And Shyamalan <laughs> yes. hasn't made another good movie since. <laughs> but this is a movie. It, to me, it didn't even succeed. It's not like it was accidentally an effective movie. So many things, and not just the wildly inappropriate song choices, but I, I mean, or the you mentioned the episodes that don't go anywhere, things that don't happen. It was so dark, you don't see anything in all of these attack scenes. Yeah. It's just an endless scene of a shot of the darkness where they, I don't even think they know how to take footage yeah, but it, of the dark, exactly. it's cutting back to people like, screaming yeah. and terrible sound work, too. But I don't think they were shooting the darkness and asking us to fill it in. I feel like they were trying to shoot something and they failed, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and we have to fill it in and therefore it becomes scary. In, it's an accidental success in some scenes, but again, by today's standards, by sitting down to watch a movie in 2015, this movie is way more funny than scary. <laughs> I just found it unwatchable. That was the problem. If it had accidentally been enjoyable and I can be a sucker for these things, it was, it was painful, Larry. Right, well... Anything else you want to say about Legend of Boggy Creek, or do you think we've been... Well, I'll tell you one thing. I This is not the first time I saw it. I reviewed all of these movies for you. I'd seen it before, and what was really amazing is how much I'd forgotten from the first time, because it was so bad yeah. and so unmemorable. It all... It was like watching it again. That's not really a good thing. No. Agreed. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to announce we are now officially on our way out of Los Angeles. That was the gentleman right there. This old guy we're going to go interview, he's claimed that he's bagged himself a dead big fighter. Native Americans believe he's got one foot in the spirit world. Stop trying to explain it and just show us the damn evidence. We've been experiencing aggression displays lately at night. Turn the camera's off. Okay? What the hell is that? Okay, here we go back into some more found footage territory with Bigfoot, the Lost Coast Tapes. This is a film directed by Corey Grant, and uh, it's a faux documentary about a group of a skeptical group of uh, filmmakers who catch wind of a hunter who claims he has the corpse of a juvenile Bigfoot, and they're going to go out there and they're going to shoot this footage and they're going to prove this guy to be a loon, and somehow this journalist is going to reinvigorate his career mm -hmm. by doing this. Um, it has a lot of the tropes of found footage that, Does I it ever. that I don't like in that the central character 
who's making the film is kind of unlikable. <laughs> they really, really love the Cooper characters, the really difficult characters in the found footage movies. I find it's an easier way for them to just create tension out of nothing, to have this random asshole in the group. So what we have here is a group that is led by an asshole and sort of flanked by mildly irritating caricatures, right? And the quote performance of the movie I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up here because uh, I, I want to say his name and I want to make it clear Frank Ashmore playing Carl Dreibeck gives an utterly utterly unconvincing performance you mean the cowboy right yeah the movie's sort of built around this character of Dreibeck um, who's supposed to be this badass hunter but he's there's this weird disjunction because he kind of speaks in this oddly formal way calling everybody Mr. So-and-so and Miss So-and-so. And, -so. and uh, he doesn't seem like he grew up in the woods gutting animals. He doesn't seem like some backwood hunter. He, he seems like an, I don't know, a professor he, or something. He serves a very classy red wine to them at dinner, actually. Exactly. <laughs> so, I don't believe the central performance and everything about the found footage crew and how it's being presented, I've seen before better. So far, not so good. Then we get to the Bigfoot question mark. Well, this is this is the thing, Larry. Let's not do what the movie does. Let's not take people down the garden pathway and let's start with what, what is the last line of the movie. It ought to be the tagline for the whole thing. It's, it's not, not a Bigfoot. Bigfoot. That was going to be my big, big button on this. If you're going to make a movie called Bigfoot, The Last Coast Tapes, and it's going to be a found footage film, so we know that it's likely going to end up with everyone dying. The last thing that our hero screams before he dies probably shouldn't be, it's not Bigfoot. <laughs> I don't mind being surprised, I don't mind attempted bait and switch, I don't mind a movie that has a twist to it that sets us up to expect one thing and gives something else, but there's a difference between tricking me and lying to me. And this movie is an elaborate lie. <laughs> well... I, I watching it a second time I was a little more kind the first time I saw this I felt really ripped off and, and not just because as I think you said this embodies everything that's bad about the found footage genre from people endlessly filming when they shouldn't be filming saying why don't you stop filming to other people who are We've filming seen that scene before guys and they always even when their sound man isn't there and then when the sound guy's dead they still pick up their sound Perfect. just fine yeah. but and, and actually they spend too much time filming the sound guy but but Anyway, to digress, it's not just a bad movie, but yeah, the first time I saw it, I felt so cheated because I am a genre fan. Right. I wanted to watch a Bigfoot movie. And as far as I can understand it, it is interdimensional aliens. That's my take. What do you, what do you think the well, monster okay, was Well, okay, here's the thing. I, I, again, trying to meet him halfway. I will say maybe there were Bigfoots in there that were trying to protect them from the interdimensional aliens. That's my theory seeing it the second time. Yeah. First time I was just mad about the aliens. But what got me mad is, is yeah, the, the Dryback character contradicting himself from one scene to the next. There'll be, the, like, he's got an electrified fence around his yard. And uh, there's a scene where one of the characters, this woman, gets dragged through the woods by a Bigfoot. And she's horrified. And he has this big panic. You guys don't have any idea how dangerous this is out here. The next day, while she's healing, they have a conversation. And he calms her by saying, I don't think you are any real danger. It's just, like... That's bad screenwriting, or it was an improvised moment that did not click with the rest of the movie. Either way, didn't make sense. <laughs> Aggravating, right? And when it's something that obvious and openly sloppy, I just, like, 
I, the, the reason this movie is distributed and the reason that the movie has any of the reach that it does is because Bigfoot's on the cover. And in the end, yeah, it, it's not really about Bigfoot. Frustrating. <laughs> I mean, so the second time, I, I still hated it. I really hated it the second time. But no, I've come to believe Bigfoot is in it. It's just that the, the Native Americans, as we call them down south, the Native Americans always believed that Bigfoot protected people from the spirit world. Right. And so the premise is Bigfoot is real and he keeps people safe from the aliens. Now, the movie doesn't explain why they failed to do their job in the movie because I presume the aliens kill everybody. Yeah. Let's give it away, yes. And it seems like the way the, the roads are being blocked by trees, like the bait and switch there, is a, it seemed like the Bigfoots were, would be people responsible for that. Well, and they're redwoods. These are redwood trees, so these would have to be very strong or very right. even larger than usual. So, it, yeah. And when Drybeck has his little fleek, freak out towards the end of the movie, he starts shooting wildly into the sky. If you're shooting at a Bigfoot, you wouldn't shoot in the sky. But again, no answers are offered. <laughs> in fact, at the very end, you, could you see the flashing lights a couple times when people get killed? Another time you see something fiery zipping around behind one of the characters. Right. But in the end with the flashing lights, I replayed it. Okay, I'll just admit it. I replayed it a lot, frame <laughs> by frame. At the very end, it looks like hooves. It looks like hooved, cloven feet stepping in at the end. So, like, is it the Jersey Devil? <laughs> Uh, that great scene I was going to talk about uh, again when the woman's been injured and Dryback is going to have this conversation with her and uh, he, he starts opening up oh uh, I think you're getting into a little bit of uh, the Bigfoot lore that I find a little difficult to believe right. and he gets all sarcastic and like oh some people believe the Bigfoots protect us from spirits and I found it so hilarious that someone who'd spent their life 100% believing in Bigfoot would be so skeptical to somebody else. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's the most true-to-life part. Probably. But maybe we're asking the wrong question, what was it? The real question is, do they even know? Do the people who made this film know what happened to the characters at the end, or know what the lights meant, or the cloven feet? My guess is no, because everything else was pretty incompetent. That would just sort of complete it, right? <laughs> but... Uh, I hate to be this mean because I like to say like there's no shortage of, of movie podcasts out there that are all about just hate and vitriol and yeah. but mm -hmm. usually in a bad movie I can find something that I can I can I can sort of center with like I might have been able to get a kick out of the dryback character had he been better played or better written that actor you know? was terrible but like and he was terrible and he was the center of the movie mm -hmm. and, and and you know Bad choice. Bad choice. I'm terribly sorry, Frank Ashmore. I'm sorry if this, this bad review is going to uh, <laughs> affect you negatively for the rest of your career because podcasts have power. No, but it hurts. It hurts, man. How do you, how do you build your movie around that? You, well, you don't is the answer. But, but he's not the only terrible actor. Let's be fair, Laurie. <laughs> no. Uh, the central, the main character, whose name is currently oh. escaping me, uh, Sean Reynolds is the character's name. I don't remember any of their names. They're <laughs> just the, the, the main guy, the ball cap guy, and the guy who looks like Napoleon Dynamite. And the good-looking Thankfully, there's just one woman, so that makes it easier yeah. to keep track of them. But the, the sort of main character, the uh, Sean Reynolds, played by Drew Rausch, uh, yeah, don't like him from the first second. Yeah. One thing I will say is he does look like the type of guy who would host one of these faux documents. He looks like an shows. asshole. Like he's got that sort of newscaster face. Like I get why he had the right look. And I don't necessarily think he's a horrible actor. I think that he was dealt mm. a tough hand. Like here, you're going to play an unlikable person okay. and uh, it's 
you're the center, basically, of this faux documentary show, and we're going to start you off as you're a skeptical asshole, and no matter what you see, you're going to remain a skeptical asshole. <laughs> you're very kind, but you're right. You're thinking like an actor, Larry. Yeah. It's a tough... No one could really how play do you, that well. How do you do it? How do you do it? I mean, I think he did what was asked yeah. of him. Uh, I think he did what was asked of him more than the character that Dryback did. Like, I think he was supposed to be more mysterious. We're not supposed to know what to think of this guy, right? And I just thought, I don't believe anything that he says. In fact, if the whole thing had turned out to be an elaborate prank that was being played on him by Dryback and uh, what was his buddies, LaRoche, uh, I would have believed that because they were really not good at selling it. When he was trying to be serious, I thought he was lying. <laughs> you know, and when he was lying, I thought he was serious. And I don't think any of this was intentional. It stings. It stings. You gotta do it, Larry. I'm not the. I'm not going to be this guy who says that found footage is is bad because I I've seen enough good found footage that like I think that it warrants. You know, it it has it has its place in the playground. People say all all found footage are shitty or most found footage are shitty. Well. Most slasher movies are shitty. And you know what? Most monster movies are shitty. Uh, us genre fans will, will, will sort through Most them movies them. are shitty, Larry. Most movies are shitty. Mm -hmm. It's terrible to say, but it's kind of true. <clears throat> this movie in no way distinguishes itself. And it, it, it's one of those things that people can hold up as evidence as why found footage doesn't work. I don't learn anything about Bigfoot. I don't get scared. I don't have anything to keep me engaged with this movie. No more needs to be said, Larry. For ages, he is hidden in the forest. Eluded hunters, baffled scientists, and remained a mystery. Until the Hendersons bumped into him. What is it? It's a major discovery. We have to take it home. George. It's so it's eating my 15th birthday corsage. Uh-oh. George, he's coming back. Stall him. I can't. How? Show him the pasta maker. This is our home. Our stuff. Oh, sit. Exercise, Irene. This is it. The whole world's gonna know. <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons. This is a pretty different selection out of this group and that it's the only one of the group that doesn't really try to scare you. I guess there's a few scenes of tension or like, what's going to happen to Harry? But uh, at no point did I suspect that there was going to be anything really grisly going on. It's also of these movies, the one that I'm the most familiar with because I watched the shit out of it when I was a kid. <laughs> I, I liked Harry and... Growing up, I look back upon Harry and the Henderson through that nostalgic lens of who I was when I first watched this movie and how much I like the idea of having a Bigfoot for a pet. <laughs> so I am going to say that, yes, I am superficially charmed by Harry and the Hendersons. And more than any of the movies on this list, it delivers the Bigfoot. Harry lives large and bright on the screen. We see him in great detail. And still today... Almost 30 years later? More? I think he looks pretty good. I think that Harry, the, the Sasquatch, looks good. Do I buy him as, you know, a, a welcome member of this family? And do I put up with some of the shtick of the movie? Well, maybe not as well as I did when I was a kid. But the movie only wants to be charming and funny. And I think, for the most part, 
It is. But I brought you here to get a second opinion. So what did you think of Harry and the Hendersons? Well, yeah, Larry, you brought up a lot of good issues there, actually. Um, and, you know, the first thing you point out is that this is different from all of our other titles. And yeah. I'd actually say it's different in, a, in another sense, too. It's different in that it's meant to be funny and heartwarming rather than scary. But it's also different in I get the feeling that this is the only movie in our list where nobody doing it really believed in it. Mm-hmm. Really believed in the value of what they were doing. As, as poor as some of these movies, other movies are, I think they're all auteur movies to some extent. Right. There's someone with a vision and maybe they have a bit of an Ed Wood streak, but they think it's brilliant. And they think they're capturing something brilliant. This was this is a very calculated, very commercial movie. It was not dreamed up by the director, who's right. also the writer. wasn't dreamed up by any... Any even of the individual producers so much, this was a business decision to make this. I was actually doing some reading about it, and cynical minds at the time felt that it was not so much an attempt to cash in on E.T. as to cash in on, cash in on the success of ALF. Ah, sort of ALF meets E.T. Yeah, ALF meets E.T., two people met in a boardroom, I love the player, ALF meets E.T., let's do it. We've talked about this in the past, because uh, Dorian pointed out that uh, Predator was originally someone in, in, in a, an executive meeting somewhere saying, oh. we need Rambo meets Alien, and we it, got Predator, wh- and you know what? I like me some Predator. <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, so oh, don't get me wrong. Every I'm not... now and then the suits get it right. Oh, I'm not saying it's bad because of this. I'm saying this is fundamentally different, though. Because right. it's not an, auteur, an right. auteur pick. It's a commercial, mainstream, it's an A movie. And even though it made a decent amount at the box office, the cost, I can guarantee you, I haven't even looked at it, all of them, but that this cost more than double what all of our other Bigfoot movies did oh, together. Oh, yes. It was something like, if you, you look on Wikipedia, $30 million budget in, in 1987 the, in the 80s, yeah. to make this. So it doesn't mean it's bad, but it's fundamentally different. I will say that at least one person put their heart into this movie, and that will be Rick Baker. Uh, and he sort of cites Harry as one of his favorite creations, period. Well, I agree with you there, Larry. Yeah, uh, like, and I do think that Harry looks great. I always remember when I was a kid, from when I was a kid, there was a scene where he's watching television with the kids and he starts laughing. And I just thought that was the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And you believe Harry. And I still believe Harry today. I mean, I realize that he's animatronic and like a man in a suit with an amazing mask that is very well articulated. But... Much the way you sort of lose yourself into Gollum with the Lord of the Rings. I just accepted Harry as a character. I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, this brings up a topic we haven't talked enough about yet, but when we get to the Jerry Awards, hopefully we'll return to it, which is the issue, any Bigfoot movie comes up, is the issue of the gorilla suit. Right. How good is it? Yeah. And I'll, I'll tip mine right now. This has the best gorilla suit. For There's sure. just no question. He's huge and very well, powerful. But it's the face. You mentioned the articulation. Yeah. That's what blew me away. I don't know how they do it, how Rick Baker and his people do it, but he has real expressions. Absolutely. And it takes a lot of work. You know, this is the age before computer graphics, you know. This was all wires and puppetry, and it's it's impressive. And over and above that, just seeing a, a, an incredibly powerful animal in the, this sort of suburban neighborhood, he demolishes the house within minutes, just walking through it. <laughs> Sitting on the couch, he snaps it in half, and he, you know, pushes the, uh, the door frames up so that he can fit his head through all the doors without ducking. This immensely powerful creature, and yet immensely friendly creature. But at the same time, Larry, the, the, the beautiful articulation of the face um, brings up for me what makes me really hate this movie. And I mean really hate it. 
is that all of this wonderful skill and art, the ability of articulating the expressions, is to create the, just the most obnoxious sitcom mugging. <laughs> um, if Harry were an actor, I mean, he, he looks very lifelike, but let's pretend he were real, I would say he stunk the place up. I mean, there's few things more off-putting than a person desperate to be liked. Right. And in a performance, there's nothing worse than a performer trying so hard to be lovable. And this whole movie tries so hard. I mean, he's constantly the eye rolls, the goofy little grins. Well, I don't think in that way, guy. yeah. But in that way, they're appealing to the kid. Yeah, they market. are, and and that's who this movie was for. This right. is not for the horror crowd, and I should say that loud and large. Uh, don't misunderstand it. The Harry and the Hendersons is a family comedy. Uh, I think the other performance that we're missing, actually, in this conversation is John Lithgow. Uh, John Lithgow, for me, I do think he's a good actor, but he's somebody who can overdo it. Like, he'll put an extra couple coats of paint on it a lot of the time. Uh, so I think he's one of these actors, you got to be careful how you use him. And I think he fit really snugly into this because it was kind of a heavy-handed Disney feature. And because of the transition that he sort of had to go from hard hunter guy to... Well, nature love and hippie the, man. That's ridiculous. His character changes in every moment of the screenplay according <laughs> to what he wants. One moment he's going to sell Harry's body and the next he's trying to protect him. We're supposed to believe he's learned from him at the end. To be fair, he, he was going well. to sell Harry's body when he thought Harry was dead. Once yes. he realized Harry was alive, he was less interested in selling the corpse. <laughs> but he was still thinking of exploiting him. Well, he almost shoots him, right? But he is also going to exploit him by teaching him how to do tricks. <laughs> and appear on the Carson show in various magazines. He he's whatever the screenplay. I mean, the performance was good. I think yeah. John Lithgow did a fine performance. Absolutely. Well, that's the ironic thing is that in this movie, even though I don't think anyone believed in it, it's all professionals. Yeah. All professionals from everybody the people, showed up to work. The sound people, the people filming it, the actors, and definitely the effects people. They're all professionals. They're all doing a first-rate job. But the story, I, I, I maybe I saw it when I was a kid too. But I really, yeah, I really hated it. It tried so hard to be lovable. I mean, the two scenes that stood out in my head when I was a kid were the, the scene where uh, Harry takes all of the trophies out of the house and buries them in the backyard and sort of looks scornfully at the family for having all these dead animals as decorations. Uh, it was preachy too. Yeah, it was very preachy, and it's not subtle. But in a little kid, you know, it, two plus two equals four kind of way, that mm -hmm. hit with me. And then the other scene, which I didn't like, was when John Lithgow was trying to get Harry to go back in the woods, and he starts hitting Harry and slapping him and telling him to go. And uh, he's doing it to try and save Harry, and Harry kind of understands it, but it still felt like I was emotionally connected to it. And again, I was a child when I saw it. I was emotionally connected to it that when he hit Harry, I, I, I got a little teared up. I didn't like it. The 13-year-old boy in me felt the same way, Larry. But now I look at that, it's so manipulative. It's so crass. I mean, it's not any of the subtlety you'd see with E.T. E.T. is still <laughs> pretty, pretty high sugar content. I don't know. Uh, everyone bows at the altar of E.T., Fan. But that's me. Uh, I'm not either, but Harry and the Hendersons to me is just even worse. It's with even less subtlety, even less grace. Because, yeah, I mean, it, maybe it's a good kids' movie, but the other thing that is so obnoxious is it tries to be more. Like many big budget films, it's got a $30 million budget, remember. Right. $30 million in 1987 money, it can't just succeed with kids. So you have to put in a bunch of dumb jokes for adults, a bunch of winks, you know. What child has heard of Us magazine when John <laughs> Lithgow references that? 
So there's an attempt to make a movie that everyone will like, and when that goes wrong, you get a movie that nobody likes. I think it plays with the ludicrousness of sort of the Bigfoot mystery. Like, there's the the woman who reports to the news that she saw Bigfoot in her house, but at first she'd mistaken it for a mouse. And when you watch the scene as it plays out, that makes sense. But just reading that headline, it makes her sound like a crazy person, right? Um, Don Amici uh, is in this movie. Uh, he plays Dr. Wallace Wrightwood, a gentleman who spent his entire life studying the Bigfoot, but uh, when we meet him, seems pretty happy to just sell souvenirs and uh, just get by with his little roadside, roadside store. There's, a, I think, a kind of charming scene where he's invited over to dinner and he meets Harry. And I like the idea, I mean, I know this is a kid's movie, but I like the idea of somebody who has spent their entire life on this search and have finally resigned themselves, you know. I'm either never going to find it or I was looking for something that wasn't there. And then, at that point of giving up, is faced with their with their mission, with their dream, with this Bigfoot, literally in front of him, large and real. And he is reduced to tears just seeing it, because it means he's not crazy. <laughs> the sad flip side of the coin is that I would argue in the real world, Batman is crazy. <laughs> but it was kind of nice seeing that payoff in the movie. And again, yeah, it's a kid's movie, and these are the sort of emotional payoffs that work well for that. But if you're looking for a scary horror movie, Harry and the Hendersons isn't it. If you're looking for something to watch with the kids... It's aged pretty well, I think. I think it's fine. <laughs> I guess so. I like to watch good movies with my children. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, you would watch E.T. with your kids? Oh, God, no. Actually, come to think of it now. My children are too young. My daughter's four. I haven't crossed this bridge yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. You mentioned the Don Amici scene, though. Maybe I'm just this horrible cynic, but I hated that scene in particular because of how they overplayed it. As he's giving this speech about he'll never find Bigfoot, he'll give up, we have endless reaction shots yeah. of John Lithgow and his sitcom family. And, oh, Harry's, Harry's right behind right him. Behind and whenever the plot is convenient, of course, there's a terrible stench. Yeah. Normally he smells, but... For the purposes of the bit, he doesn't notice him. And it went on way too long. It's uh, it's just an example of how two people can say the same thing. That probably, yeah, I'd say that sums up what I like least about it. Weird. It's a well, scene I like, like again, I like the idea of the scene as much as I think. I would mm -hmm. like to see that scene in, I an agree actual, with you. In, in a seriously themed movie more than a comedic one. Because I think that, you know, people do set themselves out on life missions and both success and the failure of that mission has its own profundity. You know? If I could just digress briefly for a moment. You are right, that's a powerful scene. One of my favorite recent Bigfoot documentaries was the British series, The Bigfoot Files. And they have several of these Bigfoot hunters who have believed in it their whole life. One of them even believed he shot a baby Bigfoot. And he's really choked up about it. He's sad, he feels guilty, but he's sure it's true. And they all give their hair, they all have hair samples, which they give for DNA analysis. And in every case, it turns out to be for a bear. Yeah. And what is fascinating is that all of them, all of these guys, they confront them one by one. They all cry. They all break down in tears on camera because it meant so much to them that this had happened. And it is so devastating. Yeah. So I would agree with you that there's a The powerful... idea of the scene is strong, yeah. Yeah, and the idea of believing in something that much and giving your life to it. I mean, I don't want to overpraise Harry and the Hendersons, I guess. I think that it'd be fine to watch with the kids. A lot of the kids' movies from the 80s have not aged well at all, like just the content in them. Uh, I, I was a big fan of uh, Monster Squad when I was a kid, 
and uh, you have a bunch of 10-year-olds calling each other faggot. Oh, really? It's really weird to watch now. It's just not cool anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, that is not the case with Harry and Anderson. If there's anything, it might be a little bit long for the attention span of kids these days, but for a kids' movie made in the 80s about Bigfoot, I'm going to give thumbs up to Harry and Anderson. All right. That's me. What are you doing? I got some GoPros set up. If anything moves up in here, Brian Tober's going to catch it. What is that? Get the lights! Get the lights! Get the lights! There's no credible documented cases of a Sasquatch attack. Shut up about a Sasquatch. It's okay. There's nothing out here. Uncle Bob! Uh, it's Matt! Gonna... We're at the cameras! Okay, um, Mr. Eduardo Sanchez, uh, he and his creative partner at the time created, of course, the Blair Witch Project, and uh, he has done other things in the in-between. You'd like to think that he probably could have retired, considering the amount of money that Blair Witch made, but uh, he made a bunch of uh, sort of lower-end, cheaper horror movies that weren't necessarily found footage, but felt like they were. They were sort of shot in that verite style, but they didn't try to justify it. Here with Exists, this found footage Bigfoot movie, uh, he is trying to justify the verite style. These kids are going to go out to a cabin owned by one of their uncles, and they're going to shoot a bunch of extreme sport videos, get themselves famous on YouTube. Uh, everybody has GoPro cameras, everybody's filming each other, but there's a reason for it. And I found, unlike a lot of the found footage ones, at least when it's a journalistic sort of thing, Grave Encounters, or like we talked about earlier with the Lost Coast tapes, when it's a, a documentary team, almost always the person leading the team is this dickhole. Mm -hmm. Didn't find that here. For the most part, these were a bunch of you know hedonistic kids out in the woods being loud and, and obnoxious, but they were familiar enough. <laughs> I believed them enough. Well, this is... This is part of what I objected to about exists. Um, as a found footage movie, it, it certainly doesn't run into the usual cliches. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but um, there, everyone has a camera. Yeah. There must be 20 cameras. There are cameras mounted on cars, on bikes, on people's helmets. Yeah. There are millions of different perspectives, and thankfully no one ever says, stop filming, or why are you filming they this? They don't have that conversation. Which you have in every other found footage movie I've ever seen. That's true. But even if it avoids some of the cliches of found footage, it runs into all the cliches of your slasher film. That you have a bunch of interchangeable, dumb, hedonistic young people who go out into a cabin in the woods and one by one they all get killed. Yeah. Or almost all. Yeah. Um, I would say it's a little bit more set up than that. We there, we understand why this is happening to them. Well, it's the plot of Grizzly Rage. Which, I mean, this is another thing. When, when you do your Grizzly movies, okay, <laughs> spoilers. For Grizzly Rage. But in the movie Grizzly Rage, a group of dumb hedonistic teens run over a grizzly cub. And so for the rest of the movie, the grizzly mother goes rampaging after them to get revenge. revenge. And right. as far as I understand it, that's the plot of Exists. That's pretty much what we Just have here. Scratch out Grizzly and write in Bigfoot and you yeah. got your movie. Yeah, um, I have, I'm not familiar with Grizzly Rage. So this was fresher material to, to my mind, which might be why I enjoyed it more. It's not flawless. There are problems. Most of it is in the found footage conceit. The later we get into this movie and the more things get you know, more and more crazy and chaotic and more our characters are dwindled, dwindled down and with them the cameras, the more 
the camera always seems to be in the exact perfect spot to catch mm -hmm. the action. Now, most of the time in found footage, it's not that. Look at Blair Witch. It's them whimpering in tents, and whatever's going on outside the tent, it's up to us. We're going to see the same thing when we talk about Willow Creek. This is nothing like Blair Witch. We just want to say that exactly. now. Well, that's Blair where Witch, I'm going. you never see the monster. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's where I'm going with this. Uh, in their attempt to give you your money's worth, and I do think that they do, as far as entertaining you and making a scary Bigfoot movie, in their attempt to give you the best Bigfoot for your buck, they break some of the found footage. There was a couple of shots, actually when I rewatched it I was trying to look for this one. There was one panning shot I remember in the room where I'm pretty sure the camera passed by all our characters. Which made me think, who shot that? Who shot, was Bigfoot shooting that? Was that Bigfoot footage? Well, it's just the camera sitting on a vehicle. But because most of the time it's there, you have to try and forget about the found footage thing, I guess. And go back to sort of his earlier movies uh, where, where, like I said, it, it, it's shot like it's found footage, but it isn't. Because so much of the found footage stuff works, when it doesn't, it immediately takes me out of it. It immediately takes me out of it. Oh, right, this is, you know, this has all been set up. Um, the, there's a memorable sequence towards the end of the movie where a trailer is tipped over and rolled down a hill. And both during the, the, the fall and where everything's lined up, the camera within the trailer is always perfect to where we want to be. And I think that it might even be more impactful if, you know, that, that character is bleeding out and we hear him talking to her, but we didn't see it. Right, like the scene at the end of the Blair Witch Project. Correct. I think that he could have taken more of the Blair Witch and put it into here. In his, if, in he was his, trying like hard said, not to repeat himself, though. I guess. He didn't want to repeat himself, he, and he wanted to give you the Bigfoot. And I appreciate that impulse, because so much of these have been sort of teasing us with Bigfoot, but really not showing us, right? We get several good looks at this Bigfoot, and he is mean and mad. Though this is what I meant when I said it's not like the Blair Witch Project, where of course we see nothing. It's nothing but hints. If, you know, we get the gorilla suit and more. If anything, they overdo it. Right. I mean, at the very end, I mean, maybe my biggest criticism would be how much we see it. We see Bigfoot very early on in the movie, which I think breaks a good rule of thumb in monster movies, that you hold the monster back until right. later in the story. And at the end, we have a long shot. We have a really long shot at the end where we're just basically staring into his, his eyes. And he's no Harry. Yeah. So it doesn't work for that reason. They don't have a good gorilla suit, and yet they scrutinize it so closely i thought that the the corpse of the baby one was pretty decent uh yeah it was disturbing yeah they will actually see the baby's been put on some sort of mound and there's flies all over it and it's rotting it it's like the creature wants them to know why they're dying mm -hmm. and again it, it sort of it, it walks the line this is a scary bigfoot this is a vengeful bigfoot but as a rule you don't feel like they would be doing this no you bigfoot are evil is, yeah this is they would hide in the woods the other thing that I have a problem with is just the basic premise of this, that this is all set in Texas. I mean, I've, I haven't really explored the wilds of Texas, but I have to believe that if Bigfoots lived in Texas, we would have seen them by now. For some reason, the fact that they weren't ge geographically isolated, that it wasn't some <clears throat> big, vast, wooded area, kind of bugged me. Well, I suppose um, if you, you don't go with some sort of Lost Copes tape supernatural um, take, take on Bigfoot, you have to, but then that's the whole stupid point about Bigfoot to begin with, yeah. is that you ought to have found something. 
Yeah. Well, and for most Bigfoot enthusiasts, it's whatever you want it to be, <laughs> right? Um, but in this movie, I, I mean, I feel like it's real world rules. I don't think mm-hmm. that there was any aliens flying around or any ghosts. Mm-hmm. Like these were animals. Nor is there the premise as in the great Bigfoot movie, Fear Runs Silent. And again, spoilers for Fear Runs Silent. They're human, but they have no souls. Ah. So even though they're, they're they're sort of otherworldly, if you were to find a corpse, you'd just think it was some person who was living in the woods. Oh, interesting. But right, this doesn't take any of that. You assume that if you got some of his hair, you got some of the hair, they analyzed it, it would not make the person who found it cry. Correct. And it would leave tracks and it yeah. would leave evidence of itself. It's able to, you know, knock down big trees and block their, their way of escape. And uh, sabotage their vehicles or whatever, you know. Uh, it's it's motivated by sort of human motivations. This is revenge. Or you ran over my kid. Appropriate for a grizzly as well. But Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, for the most part, and I find this problematic in other slasher movies, I didn't find a lot of scenes where I thought, what are you guys doing? That's incredibly stupid. And I find with, the, especially with movies that are trying to grind, ground themselves in reality, that will kill you right mm-hmm. away. Let's split up so you can't get us so bad. No, it makes sense for the guy on the bike to, to make an attempt to get out. That, that, that plan made sense, you know. And they don't randomly split up for no reason, right? Uh, there's the one character that decides he's going to bravely run out and set off some fireworks. And we know how that's going to play out from the second the plan is dispatched. But at that point, their black back is against the wall and they're, they're trying shit. It's whatever they can think of. I was with them. When mm-hmm. I watched this movie, I was with them. I wasn't what? shouting at them saying, you idiot, don't do that. And that's very rare for a horror movie. Uh-huh. Like, that's pretty rare. But what was very common is the fact that their cell phones don't work. Yes, yes. Man, cell phones have wrecked horror movies. They really have. <laughs> GPS and cell phones are just like the death of horror. <laughs> well, and I, I know I've been negative up till now, so I want to surprise our listeners by saying something positive. <laughs> I hate to admit it. I do not want to like this movie. In, 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 I see a lot of horror cliches in it. I hate the found footage um, gimmick. But Eduardo Sanchez has something. The scenes were scary. Yeah. I was scared a lot. He stages them in a way, and even though a lot of them are jump scares, which again are overdone, they're the cheapest form of scare, he's good at it. Yeah. I would have to tell him sincerely that you're good at jump scares. You're good at doing the scene where there's something running around and the character's looking terrified and catching glimpses out of the corner of their eye. The, the various scenes where the interchangeable teenagers are killed yeah. are Frightening. kind of unnerving. He's good at it. And breaking expectation. I remember one scene where they're hearing noises outside and one guy creeps to the window and he's going to peek outside. And you're expecting in the typical found footage way to see like the back ass end of the beast disappearing into the shadow or just like a piece of him disappearing. But he brings that camera up and you see its face right in the window. Boom. Terrifying. (laughs) So, So I like it, but I'm kind of annoyed because, I mean, he has a talent that anyone would love to have, but he doesn't use it maybe in the way I would like to see him use it. Right. I'm sure he could do something better than such a cliched. I mean, did we mention it has at least two fake scares that I can think of? Yeah. When, you know, oh no, they hear something and it's a pig. Yeah. Or the guy hears something else and it's some people jumping out of the bushes to scare him. Yeah, I've said it before. When you're doing a false scare, you're not telling the story. You're just, your, your wheels are spinning. He does everything wrong, but frankly, he's much better than, I'd say, 95% of the people who make stupid movies like this. Well, I'm going to say that 
I liked exists. I'm gonna say I, you know, as far as found footage Bigfoot movies goes, this is the Bigfoot movie to watch. Uh, it's scary. I didn't find the characters stupid. Um, the found footage reality works enough. Like I said, there's a couple of shots where I went whoops, and that did take me out of it. But it, to say that it's not perfect is not to say that it's not worth your time watching. Uh, it's quick too. It's like 81 minutes long. It gets the job done. A lot of killing right yet. from the start. Um, it's not boring, and uh, mm-hmm. as far as the people who listen to the show and like like scary movies, I think this does what you want a scary movie to do. I I guess so. I would. It's it, it's strange to say. I would almost hesitate even to recommend it to genre fans. Really, like myself. But at the same time, I will say it was the uh, evening before my birthday when I found it for free on YouTube. I can say that right. I okay. watched it free on YouTube. It just they there hadn't removed it yet. I was delighted. And I stayed up with a bottle of nice Provence rosé wine, and I was happy to get to watch Exists on the evening before I slept in for my birthday. <laughs> it sounds like you might have liked this movie more than you're comfortable in saying. <laughs> well, the point is, no, it, it, it's more of this way, Larry. I liked it, but that just doesn't mean someone else would. And if I think if I said to someone, even to the genre fan, watch this You'll like it. I'd be surprised if they did. But yes, I did. I very much enjoyed it. Well, uh, I hope that uh, everybody else does. Too. All right. What are you reporting? Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. Jesus Christ! You better see ya. Hello. That son of a bitch is about six foot nine. I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh. God, he's big. Get somebody out here. Okay, what's he doing in your yard? He's looking at me. So much for small town hospitality. And so we come to Sasquatch Mountain, uh, starring Lance Henriksen. Um, this movie only has a few moments of found footage, but it does indeed mm-hmm. have some found footage. It qualifies. It, it opens with a... <laughs> A scene of Lance Henriksen and his wife in one of those classics. I think Matt, my friend Matt Risling, put it really well. It's one of those scenes where they say they're going to be best friends forever. <laughs> We're so in love. We're so happy. Everything is perfect. And then uh, his wife gets run over by a car and her camera catches a glimpse of a Bigfoot. And credits roll on this director video Sasquatch thriller called Sasquatch Mountain in some places and other places Devil on the Mountain. I think the first thing that you'll notice about this is that it's fairly obviously a low-budget affair. This is sort of a direct-to-video feel to it, maybe home or, or a TV movie type of vibe. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, it just brings it down a level as far as overall quality right out, of the, out the gate, and I will just put that, that on the table to begin with. That said, over and above its low budget, not a lot to recommend here. <laughs> um, could be wrong. I'll put the ball in your court. <laughs> well, you, you talk about the beginning. This is weird. This little bit of found footage which later characters watch later on in the movie of Lance Henriksen and his wife. I don't get it because somehow I think that Lance Henriksen blames Bigfoot for his wife's death or is somehow holding a grudge and yet it's not really Bigfoot's fault. It's the driver. Yeah, she it's was driver. run over. Yeah. But of course, the reason people on the road are panicking is because they're rubbernecking at Bigfoot. So... <laughs> it's yeah. kind of his fault. None of it makes sense from the start. And let's just not only not forget that Lance Henriksen, in one way, really isn't the protagonist. No, we're, we're, this, 
a group of bank robbers are really the people we're going to spend a lot of the time following. This is a movie that suffers from too much writing. There's way too much story, too many characters, too many potential protagonists. There's not just the robbers. There's the woman who's kind of a drifter or something. She's running from her problems and then they kidnap her. The old sheriff who's 70 and might be too old to still have the job but wants to prove he still, you know, got it. Another great Rance Howard role. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm still waiting for the time when he and Sam Elliott will play two old cowpokes. But <laughs> they're still alive, it could happen. It's never too late. Uh, yeah, a group of criminals come to this small, secluded town, shoot up the place, kill one of the police officers. It's fairly sloppily handled. We don't know or care about any of these characters. And they, they, they take the woman who we don't know who she is or care who she is hostage, right? Yeah. So there's her too. Uh, what I find funny about it is that, like, the beginning of the movie is action, 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 and then it basically settles into this chase. The the criminals are in the woods, the lawmen are chasing the criminal, and the Sasquatch is in the midst doing his thing. <laughs> but we don't know anybody for the first while of the movie. Once the movie gets into the chase, that's when everybody takes the time to stop and have their personal soliloquies, where they talk about their relationships with their dad and how important the you know this group is to them. There's so many characters, <laughs> and so like like first time playwright kind of like hammy approaches to I'm gonna tell you about my character by telling you this important element of my past that really defines my character. <laughs> yeah, this, 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 this person, and I would say that of all of the movies we've seen, this would be the person who wrote this, the one who most believes they are doing something brilliant. <laughs> that this is greatness. This is poetry that they're writing. And yet, though this person hasn't learned, I, I think, one rule of storytelling that it, it, it doesn't really useful if a character doesn't reveal who they are through action. They just tell you more facts about themselves. That's spinning wheels. It's great if we learn about a character through what they do, through choices they make. But it is. It's this, you know, first year film school. I'm going to share who I am by a flashback to my past. Yeah. Uh, the, the leader of the bank robbers, although he seems like a heartless hard-ass, really cares about them. And one of his final moments, he, he charges at the Bigfoot, firing his gun, running to his death, saying... She's my family! She's my family! Like, again, the classic, you know, show-don't-tell type of On-the-nose dialogue. Exactly. Um, That character, uh, who's sort of the leader of the bad guys... I didn't even really get what he was about, because he's always talking on his Bluetooth, buying and selling stocks. And I don't know if that was supposed to be funny, but clearly he does have access to a phone, so when the fit hits the sham... And they did need to call somebody. Yeah. He should have been able to. Don't know what that was about. I guess he's a criminal. He doesn't want to get caught. I was, the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, where do I know this guy from? Craig Wasson is the name of the actor. Yeah. And I figured it out. He is one of the main characters in a classic 80s picture called A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, oh. The Dream Warriors. He is the guy who uh, teaches the students that they can lucid dream and fight against Freddy in that movie. Anyway, that's maybe for me and the hardcore horror fans. That guy, when you're watching this movie, if you're like, I know you from something, he was in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. The movie was so boring that that was the kind of shit I had to grab hold on to like get excited about stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to think whether it was the most boring movie in the bunch, but it's up there. It's definitely up there. Because it doesn't have the charm of Legend of Boggy Creek and like the, it's just so hackneyed and weird that it exists. 
this is just another well, cheapy Sasquatch movie. Right? Well, the, uh, again, maybe I'd qualify that because most people, if you say a cheapy Sasquatch movie, you think hack. This person believed. Is the writer also the director? I... Or pretty sure. I think it lovingly says a so directed by Stephen R. Monroe. Yep. And it is written by Michael Worth, who also has a part in the movie. Oh, okay. So then he's probably a perpetrator. <laughs> but you get a feeling that he really, he really, he believed in this. This was his great project. And one reason it's so exhausting for me is because there's so much going on. There are so many characters, so many plot points, so many lines. A simpler movie, maybe in a movie someone didn't care about. Let's just you know. Put some people out in the woods. They'll kill a few people. A few shots of an ape suit. We're done. That might have been better. Yeah. Because it doesn't exhaust you with so many details, so many facts. You know, this sense that he's creating some kind of a masterpiece here. Emergency vehicle. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you don't necessarily need to know the backstory of every single character. Well, I mean, I, I. We don't I, need to have every single character. Yeah. See, like, for me, I went the other way. I thought it was being padded. I thought, like, he wrote the script, and then they realized they had about 60 minutes of script, so he went back and just started giving out monologues to people to try and stretch shit out, just to get, you know, I don't know. There are so many affected lines, and I, I wanted to start writing down st some of the ridiculous dialogue, but I didn't. But there's one, there's a bit about Devil on the Mountain, for example, and right. that's what it's often released as, which I have a feeling that's what they wanted to call it. It's more poetic. Right. There's a whole soliloquy that the, the, the guy with the Bluetooth gives. I don't know. What was his name? The character? The he actor. Was, uh, oh, sorry. The actor's name is... So I've lost it again. Bluetooth guy. Craig anyway. Wasson. Right. Craig Wasson played Travis. This whole thing about how there's a saying about how you, you, you climb to the top of the mountain and the devil shoves you down. Right. And I just feel that that's not someone padding it. That's someone writing that and saying, this is brilliant. Nailed it. Exactly. <laughs> he loves this. He loves his witty dialogue. Maybe he thinks it's Tarantino-esque. Okay, well, we've established that we're not really big on the characters. We think it's a little bit heavy-handed. But the movie at least comes through in the Sasquatch, right? Mm. Except, no, not at all. <laughs> I don't think we ever get a fairly like, a good look of anything other than the silhouette of a bear suit or of a gorilla suit, like you say. Um, the violence doesn't really pay off. This movie is inexplicably rated R. I think it could <clears> be a fairly PG affair. You take a very little out of it, and, and my kids could watch this. They wouldn't, though. They'd find it as boring as most. <laughs> yeah, he tries, the director tries to make it scary by putting all of these, are they smash cuts together? How fast you go from frame, 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 yeah. frame, 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 frame of different shots? And this is supposed to make it terrifying. All sorts of establishing <clears throat> shots shot through trees in the woods where it's all rickety and shaky just to get us from one scene to another. And there's a few seconds of shaky camera in the woods as we move to the next scene. And I just, ugh. It wore me out real quick. Did I mention how bad the location is? The location is terrible. I mean, we go back to Boggy Creek. The One of the great things, I should have said it then, but one of the great things about Boggy Creek, what could have made it good, is the location. Right. In the location of that area in northwest Arkansas, in the soggy bottom country, that is a place where I'd like to imagine there was a monster. But here, here, we, we hear early on either it's Rance Howard's sheriff character or the old hunter character... But they comment about what rough terrain this is, because yeah. we're supposed to be up on the mountains. There seems to be lots of elbow room. It could be Florida. Yeah. They could be 20 feet above sea level. It's flat, it's even, but we're supposed to believe we're up in some rough, almost impassable mountain country. 
they were so lazy, I guess, when they shot it. They looks like they went 30 feet off the road. It certainly doesn't look like hard bush. And then I'm going to no. take us full circle back around to Lance Henriksen, who gets top billing in this Poor movie. Lance Henriksen. I don't know if he likes uh, Bigfoot movies or if he's just at the state in his career where he's Lance anything for a dollar Henriksen, but is he the protagonist of the movie? Does he have a journey? Well, no, and no. I, I, I think that's an unfair question to ask with this movie. More <laughs> interesting, uh, I think, obviously, Lance Henriksen will, will do anything for a buck at this point. Right. But the question is why people making Bigfoot movies. And when you make a Bigfoot movie, you, you want a washed-up actor. You right. want a washed-up somebody. And again, with, with Fear Runs Silent, which I mentioned before, they're, they're sure to get Billy D. Williams and Stacy Keach. Because they were totally available. Yeah, they were, they were, they, they were very au courant in 1997. Yeah, but in the same sense, you know, you, you want somebody you can get him, but why always him? Because he's also in Sasquatch, not to be confused with Sasquatch Mountain, and I'm honestly forgetting now he's either in Claude, the Legend of Sasquatch, or in this other movie that's kind of rear window meets Sasquatch, where a guy in a wheelchair, because he's temporarily been injured, watches a Sasquatch kill the women next door. That happens. Yes. <laughs> I, I'll admit right now, I'm my memory's not too good, I've been drinking, but in one of those, he's in one of those two, so that's at least three Sasquatch movies. Yeah, I so, looked him up, yeah, he does seem to have uh, one foot in the Sasquatch genre for some reason. I really ask, what is it about him? <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? You've followed his career longer than me, Larry. Well, I, I do think that it's just, it's at this point, he'll, he's a genre actor. He's sort of like Dee Wallace. He's, they're constantly getting jobs in B-horror mm-hmm. movies because they're getting offered parts in B-horror movies. Yeah, his heyday, you know, was probably Aliens and Pumpkinhead in the 80s, you know, when he was a little bit less haggard than he is now. But I do just think, yeah, he's Lance anything for a dollar Henriksen. He's in the Hellraiser movie. He's in one of the Scream movies. He's like, you know, he's a workman actor. Well, I don't think he sucks. I actually do think Lance Henriksen is a totally solid actor. He has a fine performance in this. He has nothing to work with. He's not really the central character because it really is the woman. I think if you had to pick a protagonist who's arrest, who's kidnapped by the, since it ends with her, certainly, who's, yeah. who's arrested. But... I guess what I'm saying, though, is I'm sure Billy Dee Williams would still do it. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't pick him. Sir Stacy Keach, is he still alive? He would have, yeah. had he been around then. But they pick Lance Hendrickson. So there are a lot of old actors who are willing to do it, but he's the one. I guess if you're he's a, got a quality. huge fan of Lance Hendrickson, mm, then you, you should probably watch Sasquatch Mountain. No. Short of no. that. <laughs> short of that. I'm going to say stay away. Check one. My boyfriend's a big idiot. Check one. I said I would come on this trip to help you with your film, and it's your birthday, and we're gonna have a great time, but I'm not about to say that I believe in Bigfoot. Well, then why are you here? I like being with you. I just don't want you to think I'm crazy. Pets and people go missing all the time. I'll go in there myself. You can just stay here in town if you want. You believe any nut job out there that says Sasquatch is real? Your friends will all think you're crazy, and you'll spend all of your days searching for something that you never find. I never felt this way about anyone. It's about 29 miles north of here, you come to the bottom of Bluff Creek. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. 
when you get in there. It's a steep canyon, there's a running creek, there's forest. Here we come to the most recent of these uh, Bigfoot movies uh, called Willow Creek. It's uh, written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, which uh, anybody who remembers the 80s knows him from his infamous stand-up routines and his uh, characterization in the Police Academy movies. In his later life, he has mellowed out substantially, and instead of being a stand-up comedian who screams and squeals, he directs low-budget, independent, usually comedies. Um, there's an interesting movie with uh, the late, great Robin Williams called World's Greatest Dad, and... Um, another one I'm trying to think of. Oh, of course, Shakes the Clown. Um, and God Bless America, about spree killers, starring Bill Murray's brother. He's kind of turned himself into kind of an interesting little filmmaker. And Willow Creek is another interesting film in his catalog. Interesting mainly because, although it has some humor in it, it's not a funny mm -hmm. movie. This is a fairly ground, trying to ground itself as much in reality as any Bigfoot movie can. And I think that's its strength and its weakness simultaneously. I think if you've seen a lot of found footage movies, and if you're a fan of a fan of Blair Witch, you've kind of seen Willow Creek. Larry, I could not agree more. I, I think we're going to agree on a lot of other <laughs> things too. But you say there that you know if you've seen Blair Witch, it's not new. We're, we're to have one criticism, and I like a lot about this movie. Yeah. I do. It is the plot of a Blair Witch movie. It, it, it absolutely is. Down to the fact that we have a section at the beginning where they're wandering around the town talking to locals. Absolutely. Before they go into the woods to inevitably, spoilers, die out there. Yeah. But it's the exact same template. It's well done. It's mm -hmm. well done. And as far as making it believable, as me believing these characters and believing the people they meet, telling the stories, more successful than any of the other found footage ones as far as me believing it, quote unquote. Oh, yeah. But the trajectory of Blair Witch is mirrored completely. And if you've seen Blair Witch, like I said, you've seen this movie. I think it's still worth watching this movie. And I think if you've watched this movie not seeing Blair Witch, it might well scare the shit out of you. Um, but that's what would take me out of it. It's just this, this is really good, but I've been here before. Yes, Eduardo Sanchez is avoiding imitating Blair Witch in Exists, but Bobcat Goldthwait does not seem to have Managed worried that. about that. <clears throat> well, he didn't even try. <laughs> yeah. Um, it does have a lot going for it. I think the two central performances, and I'll get the actors' names here if I can, Alexi Gilmore and Bryce Johnson, as this uh, young couple, she clearly doesn't believe in Bigfoot, but loves the hell out of her boyfriend and wants to go camping. My impression was that actually they're having problems in their relationship. Well, that's the interesting, sort of the little bit of the stress in the dynamic. For her, she's basically coming out, sort of meeting him halfway. I'll go camping with you. I will, I will go on this Bigfoot adventure with you because I'm being a good girlfriend. Mm -hmm. She's putting up with it. As far as he's concerned, he's all in. In fact, there's a scene where he proposes to her. And excruciatingly, she re rejects the proposal. And he's got this all on film. It's sort of like, you believe it. Because like, it makes sense. They're out on this sort of romantic mm -hmm. camping trip. And she's agreed to come along with him, which is a lot of trust on right. her part. So he pops the question. And to have that question answered with a, not a, not a mean no, but a no, <laughs> was like kind of a, a shock to him. And uh, made you question, maybe this isn't as a perfect couple as, as, as we thought. Well, that's better than the Blair Witch Project. That's one area where it improves on that original template. There's an interesting dynamic between the characters instead of them just yelling at each other. They're not blaming each other for getting lost. Well, they, they do some of that. It, it, it gets to that point. But, but it's richer. Yeah. 
And the whole movie isn't built among that conflict. The bulk of the Blair Witch Project is these oh. kids screaming at each other in the woods, which is believable, like they're panicking and lost. Uh, these people are trying to keep their heads, and he especially is trying to keep her calm because he's the expert. Um, I do like the setup stuff, too. I like the stories. There's one story this guy gives about his dog being torn mm-hmm. apart by a Bigfoot creature, and, you know, uh, not a recognizable actor to be found anywhere in this movie, but all of the actors, I believe. And like, this is a man telling a story about his dog being ripped in half by a, a Bigfoot. So I think you have to have some game to make me believe you. Yeah, it's, it's very plausible. I mean, I, I might have personally thought the Blair Witch stories were a little creepier. Mm-hmm. The woman floating through the air with hair like a horse. But yeah. Eh, they did the job well enough in fitting that template. Before you go into the woods, you've got to hear some creepy stories. The sort of big love it or leave it moment of the movie is a i'm pretty sure almost 20 minute scene it is 20 minutes of the two of them waking up in the tent and hearing noises again we have that scene in blair witch of them waking up in the tent and hearing noises but there's something about the way this is handled and the fact that it is 20 straight minutes and that you if you're in the, the movie are in that tent with them right and that's what you want that's the when when found footage is really achieving it the two actors are just listening and you're listening with them you're locked into them you might as well be in the tent with them every sound out there is terrifying and uh i thought that was done really well and kind of bold 20 minutes just holding on the actors it take a lot of trust and a lot of guts and from what i hear more than one take three um, at least i i this is what i heard is three i gotta tell you yeah it is so good i would recommend the movie just for that yeah the rest of it i'm not too sure about because it's sort of a rehash of the blair witch project you can argue about whether it's maybe a little better here or there but that scene i rarely see anything like that and that really is the centerpiece of the film like it really is the like (laughs) the jewel of the movie it's so effective to me and they had to take it take it do more than one take because the actors have to go on a trajectory in that at the beginning they begin to hear noises in the woods and she's a little bit scared already he's not scared at all even as it escalates, I mean, first they hear the wood knocking, which is a classic trope. Apparently, hitting a sticks together is a great way to attract Bigfoot, because he likes to do it too. I see. So they hear the wood knocking, and she's already a little creeped out, but he thinks this is cool. And then when they start hearing, hoo, 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 she, as most of us, Not is getting that. really scared, but he's still enjoying it. But then there's this point, as the sounds in the dark escalate, where even he starts to admit he's scared. And by the time, and maybe the best part of all is we don't hear it, but it's even scarier to hear her say that she thinks she hears a woman sobbing out there in the dark. We're with them totally. And I just have to say here that, you know, I I said a little earlier about how maybe the Bigfoot genre appeals to me because I really did grow up in the middle of nowhere, Right. right in the woods on 40 acres of forest, but the other thing, the other thing that is really strong for me, I've done a lot of camping, a lot of canoeing, a lot of fishing, is being in a tent. Yeah. It, it's a potentially a very terrifying thing. I don't know if you've done that, Larry. Oh, yeah. There's something about a tent that is, well, there's something about being in your bed that's false security. But a tent especially. Like, you have the tiniest layer of fabric between you and whatever the fuck is out there. And yet you can't see anything. Yeah. It's not enough to protect you but you have no sense of what's out there and know if you wanted to run away. 
It's not enough to protect you, but it's enough to trap you there. And just sounds at night. I remember camping at my uh, family. My family has a farm outside of Rosetown, and uh, there's a big family reunion happened there. We tented overnight, and I heard a bunch of coyotes just cackling out in the field. Oh, yeah. Creepy, creepy as hell. Just the sound of them was just really chilling. And uh, especially late at night when you're laying and you're uncomfortable and you're trying to sleep and that's all you have to listen to, your brain will paint a picture. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I said, this movie puts you in that place. But this, this is the point, though. Even though that is terrifying in real life, it doesn't have to be terrifying in the movie but the achievement of the actors and the director in that scene is they make it terrifying in the way it would be in real life. So something as simple as the fact that they hear something walking around the tent, they hear the growling, and something pushing up against the side. Yeah. It, it taps into that private nightmare. I mean, I'll tell you when I would be out there, I'll admit it, the thing I would be most be afraid of is simply something touching push against the side of the tent. <laughs> But just because that's scary in real life doesn't mean it'll be scary in a movie, but they do it. Yeah. And I do like the shift of gears, and I like that we have one skeptic and one believer. I mean, it's not a, it's not a new dynamic, but I like it. Uh, when they're first doing the tootling around and they're eating the Bigfoot-sized hamburgers and seeing the really charming cartoonish statues of Bigfoot, which makes them sort of look oafish mm-hmm. and, and, and charming even. Hairy-esque. Yeah, exactly. And then when they get out there and they've, they've, they've come across these... Fiercely territorial, bad news creatures, it seems. That's the other thing that people might take issue with, with Willow Creek. And the same people who don't like Blair Witch probably wouldn't like Willow Creek for this. I don't think we ever get a good look at this creature. and um, Or if that's it, not shaky and I would qualify down. it. I would say we don't get a bad look. I tried to freeze frame a couple parts. You just don't see it. And a lot of people just won't meet that i've said it before about found footage i think that it's sort of a marker of how much imagination the viewer is willing to bring to the table Mm -hmm. you gotta have you have to meet found footage halfway and if you want this movie to spoon feed you and give you all the scares it's not gonna do that like you gotta get into it you gotta meet it well only if you're so literally minded you (laughs) have to actually see the gorilla suit to believe bigfoot is there because they do everything short of that oh i've heard people say this about blair witch though it's a bunch of shaky cameras you don't see anything and everybody dies blah but blair witch is different because you don't hear what you hear in this movie you don't see as clear the signs um and of course there's something else very strange at the end we see a woman that they've inducted that's the other th- other thing, too, we should mention. At the very end, we see the woman whose face was on the milk carton 20 years earlier, terrified, filthy, naked in the darkness, probably who they when they heard a woman crying earlier. So we see a lot of stuff. We see enough that it's so obvious. The only explanation is that the Bigfoots are out there and apparently they abduct women. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I, I don't understand those people. It's not like Blair Witch. We uh, hear so much, we see so much, we just don't see the gorilla suit. And they probably wouldn't have a good one anyway, so. I also like the theory, I, I don't know, this, is, this might be something that I completely invented about the film. But the movie starts with the few jittery seconds of the very last moment of the film. I did not notice that. And then that. it sort of pops into the beginning of the movie. Oh, and then it runs through the movie and it takes us right back to that same jittery point and then it stops. I almost felt like what we were watching was the movie sort of playing endlessly in a loop inside the, the recorder where they dropped it. You could be right, you could be right, because Bobcat Goldthwaite made a very good point. Um, he wanted to avoid one cliche, which I guess people who aren't familiar with filmmaking don't think about. 
which is the question of whether the footage has been edited right. or not. Because usually in a found footage movie, even some very good ones, like The Last Exorcism, they'll have it both ways. Yeah. Because somebody cut that film together. Well, somebody clearly cut it together, but yet they'll cut, they'll include cuts that are intended to make a layman assume that it hasn't been cut. There are just scenes of someone pulling the lid off the camera and saying, oh, is this on? That if you were really editing it, you wouldn't. And so it's weird. Somebody must have edited it, and yet they keep scenes. And I heard Bob Goldthwait talking about that very issue. Yeah. there really there are no cuts in this. I think this is just whatever was on the, the tape. guy filmed. It yeah. was what was on the tape, and that's, and that's that. Part of what makes it realistic. And oh yeah. I don't remember any thought time in this where I'm like, why are you filming this? Like, or who's filming this? It wasn't like exists where I was taken out of it at any point. Although He's we still have the moment where she asks him, "Why are you filming this?" But because she's getting pissed off. Yeah. But at least it's earned, mm-hmm. and they don't dwell on it, right? And it's sort of like the seance scene in a ghost movie. Sooner or later, you okay. bump into that scene, and you're going to have to deal with it. Sooner or later, someone's going to be tired of having a camera in your face. We just The viewers are tired of that scene, but okay. sometimes it's there. Um, overall, I'm, really, I'm a big fan of Willow Creek. Uh, I think it's a very solid entry in the found footage, and it's sort of ignited my interest in Bobcat Goldthwait, the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So uh, both of those things I would take as good things. Uh, I recommend Willow Creek, but uh, go in knowing what it is. I recommend it to genre fans. I think that 20 minutes is exceptional. I would also add, I, I, I even think, I think the use of sound generally is just brilliant in it for, for, for that sake. For that sake alone. No, I, I would recommend it. Bigfoot movies yes. reviewed, so the time has come where, Brendan, you get to rank them from your least favorite to your most. Now, if we go six for six, or we go zero for six, there's a prize, but I'm not feeling it. But we'll see. Maybe maybe, well, maybe we'll surprise each other. What's the prize? Well, I can't tell is you it what a bagel? prize is. you got to earn it. Because no. if I win a bagel, um, let <laughs> me see here. Well... No, no, I, this is not going to be, this is not going to be Larry, because I actually have to say that my least favorite, I mean, they were all, almost all of them bad. They, they all deserve to be down somewhere near the bottom, but Harry and the Hendersons just really bothered me wow. and bored me. I mean, maybe this, if, if I were a kid, I'd have liked it better. It's a kid's movie, but I watched it as an adult. I really didn't enjoy watching it. And I hated the cutesy stuff, the the adorable Sasquatch with all his smiling and mugging. I'm just a cynic, okay? (laughs) Write me off. But my next most hated, my next most hated is definitely got to be the Lost Coast Tapes. (laughs) I'm angry that it's not really a Bigfoot movie. I think everything we said, it's really boring. It's really amateurish. It was after that, the one I most hated you for making me (laughs) rewatch. I'm very sorry. Okay, so that's number five. Number four... Gotta be Sasquatch Mod. I mean, they're all terrible, but I, 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 I mean, I, there was some, there's regular killing going on in a way that was, it was a little more comprehensible than the Lost Coast tapes. I mean, <laughs> as much as that goes. So I guess I put it a bit above, and okay, 
Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put Exists a little bit higher yet. I'll give that number three because I did kind of enjoy it. The kills were enjoyable to watch and it was fast. Right. Didn't overstay its welcome. I will give The Legend of Boggy Creek second. Wow. Give it second, but on another list with another group of movies, it could probably be last. It's bad <laughs> enough that it could still qualify. But I just like the potential it has. I do see the potential of the mockumentary and the setting and the Texarkana areas so nice. It, it deserves second just for the idea of the movie it could have been. Right. You like it for what it could have been more than what it is. And... So, okay then. So, Willow Creek is my number one choice. And not just because it's the best. It's the only one that's even good. It's the only one for me that even gets beyond that level where I'd say it's a decent movie. Wow. It's not perfect. I mean, you can pick on it here and there. But I'm just really sucker for a scary tent scene. And I just love that part. I could watch it a thousand times. So, I'll put that at number one. Okay, well, I'm afraid that we're not going six for six. And we are not, in fact, going zero for six. We are... Uh, it's just another episode that goes by. Karen Giese retains her title as champion. Uh, here they go in the order that I thought that they went. Uh, for me, rock bottom. The Lost Coast Tapes. Mm -hmm. It's everything bad about a found footage movie. Mm -hmm. And it's a cock tease of a Bigfoot movie. Mm -hmm. there's, there's either no Bigfoot or so little Bigfoot as to not be worthy of the title of the movie. So if you're looking for a Bigfoot movie... This is not the one to mm -hmm. watch. In fifth place, I put Sasquatch Mountain. In a way, I think it would be a good study for uh, up-and-coming screenwriters of how not to handle character. <laughs> like, really, really, like, energy, 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 start the movie, and then we're going to stop, and we're going to get to know all these characters, and then we're going to kill them off, and I, I don't know. There's something... Nobody cared about this movie. Nobody cared about this movie. I, the way you felt about Harry and the Hendersons, that's how I feel about Sasquatch Mountain. But uh, there it was. Uh, I'm sure that there are people who will watch anything with a Bigfoot in it. And if so, I did. I watched it, it before you did this. Ranking perhaps artificially high at fourth place, I put The Legend of Boggy Creek. I do think that it has some charm in just the presentation... The weird musical choices. <laughs> and on a sort of case-by-case, -case, these are what certain people claim to have seen. It might have some superficial interest for Bigfoot aficionados. But as a movie, I don't know that it works at all. But uh, that's the bottom half of the list. The rest of the list I like. I actually would say that I would give a positive review to the rest of the list. So we're, we're very different in that respect. In third place, I put Harry and the Hendersons. How much of this has to do with my residual affection of it from when I was a child? I will cop to that. Maybe it's because I loved it from when I was a child, and I refuse to let go of that warm feeling that Harry gave to me. But I think that it's aged pretty well. I think that, that Harry looks amazing. As a technical feat, the Bigfoot is real, and there's lots of it. You get to see a lot of Harry. And, uh, I don't know, show it to your kids, whatever. Um... So, actually, I was torn about the, the, bo the, t the bottom two, but I actually think I am going to put... The top two, you mean. The top two, sorry. Uh, I think I'm going to put Willow Creek in second place. Shocking! Mind blown! I'm a big fan of Willow Creek, like I said, whereas everything about how the Lost Coast tapes is an example of how not to do found mm -hmm. footage, Willow Creek is how to do found mm -hmm. footage. But the apex of the movie is that 20 minutes in the tent. And the rest of the movie, as solid as it is, 
we have seen before. Um, I think the movie out of all of these that I'm probably the most likely to revisit and the most likely to turn on on a Halloween night and show people with some popcorn is Exists. I mean, it's fast, it's brutal, it's scary. The found footage works enough that, that the stuff that doesn't work is distracting, but not so distracting as to sink the ship. So, it's a tough one. The top two, I'm like, it couldn't, it could go either way on a given day. But uh, for the most part, yeah, that's where I end up. Sorry, we're not, we're well, just no prizes today, my that's friend. That's close, that's <laughs> close. If it hadn't been for Sasquatch Mountain, we would have disagreed on every single one. <laughs> we, we almost went zero. No, but, but we really don't, because, you know, we still both agree that Willow Creek is great, that it exists is pretty decent, we agree that Lost Coast is yeah. pretty terrible. I think the only one we've made just disagree on That's is about terrible. it, is really, actually. Yeah. That's the only one where we agree disagree by more than one. Excellent. You want so, to do some Jerry's? We can shake on that. Let's do it. it. Let's do it. So here we are in the 50th episode, and we're going to give out some Jerry Awards. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll put two out to you. If you want to do more, we can. But for the first off, let's go with best Sasquatch, best gorilla suit, however you want to put it. Um, I guess in the review, you said the gimme would be Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. But I think a mention can be made for the exist Bigfoot. It's not amazing, but I've seen way worse. Oh, I would, I would, I would beg to differ, Larry, because we're really evaluating the use of gorilla suits. We okay. want to think not only of their quality, but whether they're well used. You know, right. something's only as good. And that 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 ending scene, especially where we look into its its glassy eyes. Pardon me, I swore I wouldn't laugh at my own snark. <laughs> but when we look into its glassy eyes, we see its unmoving, unarticulated face. It just kills it for me. They they overuse the gorilla suit right from the start. I mean, I'd actually say, you know, Sasquatch Mountain, the few glimpses we get, they know it's bad, and they keep it out of the way. Yeah. I don't. For me, at some point in a Bigfoot movie, we have to... I almost feel like we have to see something. Willow Creek, I guess, will be the notable oh. exception, but... Uh, you know, that's what you go to see. You want to see something. I don't know. I'd give Willow Creek second. Uh, they get the silver medal after Harry and the Hendersons just for realizing you can do it without the silly gimmick of a guy running around with fur. That you can create the sense of Sasquatch without something silly and unconvincing. Yeah, and using your our imaginations against us will get a bigger scare every time. Unless it's as good, and I'm admitting it, unless it's as good as the articulated facial features in Harry and the Hendersons. When you got it, you bring it. Otherwise, the less we see, the better. So, number one, you're going to give it to... Harry and the Hendersons. Harry and the Hendersons. But honorable mention for Willow Creek. Cool. Um, the other one I think that I would like to go for my renomination anyway... Uh, well, and you can you can give the awards out. It's up to you. But I would mm. nominate a couple of best scares. Mm. Um, for me, the scene I talked about when we did the review of Exists, where he creeps up to the window to peek out with the camera, and because we've seen a lot of found footage, we're expecting just to see a little blur in the background, and we get this close-up of its face. That, I thought, was a really good jump scare. Um, um, I guess the tent scene in its entirety <laughs> of, uh, of uh, Willow Creek Although I thought the final moments were well rendered as well. 
um, as far as keeping me tense, um, exists and Willow Creek are the two that I found scary. So those are the two that I would lean towards. But uh, you're my guest for this, the 50th episode. What was the best scare in your mind? Oh, 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 well, I mean, well, obviously they're the only two movies that have scares in them. I mean, it, it seems to be sort of apples and oranges. I mean, I hate to even like jump scares because they're overdone. But yeah, that was there were several scary jump scares in Exists. Yeah. And that was the most uncomfortable for me to watch. Right. I, I admit it with the, the, the eye to the keyhole. Actually, unlike you, it worked for me for the opposite reason. I felt like it was coming. Oh, yeah. Not in found footage, but in your typical horror movie. You look at a small hole and then... But the expectation of it was actually more upsetting. That was good. But let's make it a little more challenging. That whole 20 minutes. That can't just be one scare in right. Willow Creek. What is the scariest moment in that? The scariest moment has got to be, as I think I said before... That when woman sobbing? We, but we don't hear it, but we simply hear a character say they can hear a woman sobbing. Um, after that, I would say I really did enjoy, I think you were saying this too, the very end of Willow Creek. It is creepy at the end. It's clear that the man is dead. They're probably going to take the woman off into captivity as they are apparently, they do. Yeah. But at that moment, we, we, we hear them do the sort of Sasquatch howl we've heard throughout the movie here and there, but they do it all at once, sort of like a triumphal hunting call at the end. Yeah. It, it takes on new meaning yeah. that they've killed this guy. They've and again, won. we have to put this all together ourselves. But I do, and it's chilling. So there's chills, there's scares. I, I, there's too many awards that way. Don't ask me to pick. They're each wonderful in their own way. Uh, let's give it to Willow Creek then. Oh, oh, if you'll agree. As a film, yes. Yeah, if you're okay. naming an individual thing, no. Willow Creek, no question. Uh, any other awards you want to give out? Worst performance? There's plenty to choose from. Oh my gosh. Let me see here. Worst performance. I'm oh. sort of tempted to give it to that guy in uh, the Lost Coast tapes, the Drybeck. Because they just he was weak, and they built the movie around him. It was a bad call. <laughs> well, this is just me, but I really would nominate Harry. Yeah? I would. I, I'd nominate Rick Baker for worst performance. But yeah. still, again, the great technology used for obnoxious sitcom mugging. But yeah, Drybeck was terrible, too. <laughs> well, you get to give the award, so... <sighs> well, no, no. Then, then I have to. I, I'm sorry. It may have won Rick Baker an Academy Award, but I'll also give it worst um, supporting performance. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch to Harry. I love me some Harry. I wanted Harry to live at my house when I was little. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess. I, I'm just... I'm a cynic. All right. Um, yeah, I didn't have... There's not even enough stand-up performances for me to go best performance. I think, yeah, really? Like, the couple in, in Willow Creek is the only thing that really stands out, but... Uh, to give it more... I don't know. I guess I'll just say thank you so much for being a part of Rank and Review. And uh, the next time you find yourself in Saskatoon, give me notice. Yeah. And we will do it again. It's been a privilege listening to the show. I've really enjoyed it. And it has been a thrill to do the 50th uh, episode. Well, I hope you keep on doing this. I just actually want to say, I want to say that in many ways, this is the culmination for you, Larry, of a lifetime of study. This is what you've <laughs> always been great at. I, I, thinking back, you know, I mostly knew you 20 years ago. Yeah. That's just the truth. And the thing that I remember now in retrospect is how many movies, actors, directors you told me about before anyone else did. In 1999, you're like, oh, I'm so excited about The Daily Show because Jon Stewart is guest hosting it. Yeah. Or you were so sure Kate Winslet would be yeah. a star. You showed me Heavenly Creatures when I hadn't heard of Peter Jackson. Right. So I realized, thinking back, you do have a talent, you have an interest in movies, and so... 
not to say that, you know, I, I don't want to limit it by saying it this way, but this feels like your life's work. <laughs> not that your life is all about this, you're not doing other things, but one part of it anyway. This is sort of the flowering, the coming to completion of a lot of movie obsessing, and I'm really excited to see it happening. Well, so you saw the wall of movies inside. It's, I hope you do a hundred. Yeah, and some people have a drug problem, I have a movie problem. <laughs> so. And that's right, and... <laughs> You've had the movie problem, but now it's benefiting other people, and it is so great to have done the Larry. Thank you. Thank you, Brendan. All the way from Florida, just for the record, you have traveled the greatest distance of any guest. You bet. To be a part of this show. Okay. Thanks a bunch, brother. Fiftieth episode of Rank and Review comes to a close. Um, I'm going to enjoy some of my summer vacation now, and I hope you guys do too. But Rank and Review shall return. If you would like to send feedback, I would encourage you to do this. You could do it at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W. Let me know how you would rank the movies. Let me know if you believe in Bigfoot. Let me know what any feedback you would care to give. This is your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. I would like to sincerely thank all of my listeners. Well, kids, since this is indeed the 50th episode and I do find myself with a bit of time on my hands, I thought I would treat everyone to a couple of exclusive rank and review deleted scenes. Um, If you're a fan of the podcast and you've been with us since the beginning, you'll remember Rick Roshan joined me for a couple of episodes discussing WTF movies, what the fuck movies. And uh, we got a little bit sidetracked and went down a blind alley, sort of talking about the experience of watching several crazy movies in a short period of time. Didn't quite seem right for the episode, but I thought I would share it with you now. After that, you're going to be hearing a uh, brief conversation from episode 10 with Natara Curry and myself. And it's interesting, this is touching on a sort of Canadian myth, perhaps, I have heard from several different people in several different acting communities around the country variations of this story, and it's about Mike Myers, not the slasher from the Halloween franchise, but uh, Canadian comedic performer Mike Myers from Saturday Night Live and Wayne's World and Austin Powers. And the myth or the rumor or whatever it is (laughs) about him is that when he comes back to Canada, He comes here looking for comedic ideas, so much so that he tends to 
deal, question mark, some of them. I'm not going to speak to the veracity of what Natara is talking about here. I don't know anything specifically about it, but I will tell you, I've heard versions of this story from several different sources. Does that add any veracity to it? I don't know, but it's interesting. So you're going to hear those two little bits, and then I will wrap things up for us on this, the 50th episode of Rank and Review. I hope you enjoy it. Well, we'll see. Yes. It's, uh, although I will say that having recently watched all these movies, uh, and I haven't spent a lot of time recently, apart from these movies, I haven't watched a lot of horror mm -hmm. recently. But it kind of colored my impression on the world. I think it's changed me just a little bit. And if I'll just take a minute here to tell a little uh, story here. That's why you're um, here, man. I was, I, I work in parking enforcement, so my day is potentially a horror story every day. And so I'm cruising along and I see this little old lady waving me down, which is a little unusual. Um, if anybody's waving at me, it's usually the middle fingers yeah. waving at me. Uh, but anyway, she waves me over, so I pull over. She's like five nothing, 80 pounds, lot of wrinkles. Like, you know, she's, <laughs> but you know, a harmless little, little old lady. And she asked me that she needs help. There's this noise in her garage that she can't turn off. And so I'm going, okay. But at the same time, so I pull over and park, and at the same time, I turn the light on on my, on my vehicle, the revolving light, right. because I'm stepping away from my car, and I'm not quite sure what I'm walking into. <laughs> not that I can't take this lady in a fight, but <laughs> if you put this lady on a rural road in, a, in the American Midwest or something, in one of these movies, she's... This is a trap. It's a trap. It yeah. feels like a trap. <laughs> so she takes me into her garage, and it's, it's kind of similar to where we are right now, except it had more boxes. It was about half full of, of you know, her life's accumulations. And the noise is coming from her, her garage door opener. It's buzzing constantly. And there's a single light bulb hanging lit. And I'm looking in here, and she's saying, well, there's a button up there. You know, it's that you have to press to turn it off. And so, and I'm kind of looking around, just getting a sense of the, of the situation. And I'm going, so I tried to turn it off and I couldn't find a button. It's like, I thought there was a button. She told me there was a button, yeah. but she could have also been trying to distract me. And she goes, well, there's a box over there that you can stand on. And I look over and now I've got to turn my back on her. <laughs> and so I'm going, okay. So I go and I grab that. And at the same time, I'm kind of keeping like her in the corner of my eye. And so I stand on it, and ultimately I can't find this button. So I said, well, why don't I just unplug it? And she said, well, the, the garage door manufacturer said, don't unplug it. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. So anyway, I unplug it, thing stops making noise, and the light goes out. But the garage door is open. So it's like, okay, well, it's, and then I plugged it back in. And it's, uh, and the noise has stopped. She goes, well, let me just test it. She walks over and she presses the button and now I'm sitting there, you in there and the door is closing <laughs> and she's still inside with me, but I'm going. And then when the door closes, the light turns off automatically. And I'm just thinking if the next sound I hear is her slipping out of her skin mask, <laughs> I am just going to start freaking out. <laughs> but no, she was just a perfectly normal little old lady and she was very grateful, but it was just kind of 
why are these thoughts passing <laughs> through my mind in this instance? And it just, these kind of films color your impression of the world. <laughs> well, I'm sure watching six of them in such a short period of time, and I heard you watch most of them twice, right? Uh, well, I didn't want to. And frankly, Friday the 13th, I, I took one my... One was one and done? <laughs> I took my notes, you know, quite rigorously on the first view because I didn't want to watch it again. But uh, I kind of felt like they, they warranted a second look. Like some of them, like I, I wanted to watch them actually, I, I quite enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. um, but just uh, the first time, you know, your mind is just kind of, whoa, like, <laughs> what, what just, happened? just happened? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and then the second time you can actually sit there and actually think about what's going on and put it together because you're not getting hit with all these surprising elements, uh, you know, one after the other. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it turned out... Uh, has a pretty good experience uh, all, all in all. I'm glad to hear it. Um, and like I say, I have much better horror movies in my collection. If you want a better example of horror movies, I can totally hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you want to start talking about some of these movies then? Yeah, let's do it. I'm a supporter of So I Married an Axe Murderer, like I am of so few Mike Myers movies, and it kind of hurts me to say that. I don't think he's unfunny. I just, uh, he rarely hits it out of the park for me. I don't know. Is it the, is it the, um, uh, what's his name? Austin Powers? No, not the Austin Powers. I'm trying to think, there's another Canadian funny man, Jim Carrey. Is it the Jim Carrey principle that, that sometimes he's on the mark and sometimes he's just not? Well, I mean, like I say, I, I like Jim Carrey and love him or hate him, like he usually goes full out on his performance and that's why it goes either way, you know, it either completely works or it falls on his face, but either way he brushes himself off and moves on to the next project. Right, and Myers just kind of like, he's got this funny little Mike Myers yeah. thing that he floats along This the is what of. works for me, yeah. I'm not going Which to Which is funny because he stole so many of his main gigs. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, borrowed them quite profusely from early days of improv. Right. Yeah, there's some good stories about him having to apologize to people in Edmonton and oh my goodness. Toronto. I See, we're getting story? some dirt on Oh, my the <laughs> dirt. Well, okay. So, Dana Anderson is old school Second City in Toronto, and he's like the genesis of all things Canadian improv, well, in some of it. Uh, Edmonton dude. Uh, and... He he was totally fine seeing Myers on the big screen using characters that he Dana had had begun, hmm. and he was just like, okay, yeah, that's what happens, right? Like you play with people, you start a character, someone takes it over, and then stuff happens, right? But when uh, Myers quoted in some interview saying talking about how he created the these characters, right. right? Like he claimed ownership of the characters. Dana had to be like, ah, uh, no, 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 contacted Myers. Uh, Myers was immediately apologetic and profuse about it, and Anderson was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, all I want is for you to come and do, yeah, a show with us in Edmonton, like one of their, their soaps yeah. shows, which, by the way, was started in Saskatoon and then stolen. Anyway, um, <laughs> cool. the... Uh, 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 yeah, so Myers uh, did a show, I guess, in Edmonton, um, yeah, Nathan Fillion's also done shows yeah. in Edmonton. With oh, yeah, them. I... Um, but but before he did the show, he sent a huge box of Mike Myers paraphernalia to Dana <laughs> Anderson, like a, like an enormous like 
like well, refrigerator size box. Good on him. Austin I mean, like, Powers I think it's shitty shit. that he would claim that it was all his, but good on him for you know coming to Edmonton and doing a show and yeah. giving them some swag because yeah, yeah. there's a lot of celebrities out there who would not even take the call or you know would not give a shit you know yeah it's true so uh he's a good canadian boy yeah and mostly, i like to support I like canadian stuff. talent that's why it really hurts me when i you know I, I watch the cat in the hat with my kids and i just can't laugh <sighs> you know it's true the cringe worthy worthy stuff is like oh brother for the uh, what was the the grinch movie was pretty mediocre in this love guru movie Oh god. I stopped it when they were having a mop fight. I don't even know fight. what you're talking about. They were having a mop fight, but the mops were soaked with pee. <laughs> oh my god, but you're laughing. You can ingest your laughing. I, I think don't it's even time know. to move on. Oh my god, I don't. And there that goes. I hope you found that somewhat interesting or enlightening. And uh, as this uh, episode once again comes to a close, I just want to encourage everyone who's listening, please write me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W. Send me feedback. Tell me what you'd like to see or hear. What Any ideas you'd like to share. Is two hours too long? Or should I let the episodes go as long as they need to? Are the spoilers problematic? Are there movies that are being missed that you would like to hear talked about? Anything that you can think of that you would like to tell me, I would welcome it. I would welcome it. Thanks, you guys. And we'll see you for episode 51.